2: my only
3: object in being here is to try and get at the truth.
2: Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. could have been a contender. Fasten your state. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an awful deal. All real, men. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. for back. I loathe you. Are I
4: loathe you. No, I love you.
2: I did as he Don't let
4: me...
1: If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it! Invalidate it! Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the
3: Oscar
4: goes to... Parasite.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 206 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.04 a.m. on August 9th, 2020. Here to join me today for what was... Quite a spectacular week of news. I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. I also have Dan Bayer. Good morning. And we have Lauren Lamagna.
0: What up, everybody?
1: Cody Derrick's. Hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. Who sounds like he's a million miles away? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get into it. What a week. Literally, by the end of day on Monday, I said to myself, my lord, we have enough content for next week's show, and it's only Monday. (laughs) So there was quite a lot to go over here. Uh, We have two trailers, uh, two big trailers, actually. One from Netflix, one from Warner Brothers uh, for I'm Thinking of Ending Things and Judas and the Black Messiah, respectively. Uh, We have film festival news. We heard news about how the Hollywood Foreign Press is a... Cartel and they're being sued. We got news about Disney discontinuing physical 4K discs. We've got news about movies being sold, release dates being moved. Mulan is coming to Disney Plus. My God. This is insane, people. Absolutely insane. So, before we get into all of it, I do want to see how you all are doing. So, why don't we ask everyone what they've been watching this week? Let's start off with Michael.
2: Matt? You're gonna be happy again. I saw three movies this week. Three whole movies. Three new movies? Uh new to me. One of them was very old, and two two of them were from uh, recent years. So the first one I saw uh came out thirty years ago, it came out in nineteen ninety. I've been going through the Spike Lee movies, and I caught up with Mo Better Blues this week. Oh. What'd you think of that? It was good. I thought it was a little overlong, but Denzel is wonderful. And you know, it's a interesting enough story. I think it was, you know. Didn't need to be two hours and 10 minutes, but I liked, you know, how it all came full circle by the end. I appreciated that. And, yeah, it was well done. I liked, you know, watching his career progress. I decided to start this project after uh, The Five Bloods. I couldn't remember his most recent movie for a second. Uh, The Five Bloods, which was great. And I've been deciding to go back and see some of his older movies that I never got a chance to uh, see when they first came out. Nice. What else? I saw that. I caught up with An American Pickle, which just dropped on HBO Max this week which I thought was very sweet. It gets a little you know, ridiculous toward the end, but uh, Seth Rogen, I think, is actually giving the performance of his career. He's playing two different characters, but it's not like he's jumping back and forth like they do one scene and the next scene. He played this one character, like the great-grandfather with the beard and then shaved the beard, then played the second part after that was all done, which is you know pretty difficult for an actor to do, I imagine. So... That was good, and it just reminded me of my own great-grandparents and you know my own heritage, and I found it very sweet and moving. And It's like 80 minutes, so no harm, no foul. I think you should check it out on HBO Max. And then the final movie I caught up with, I thought it was a 2020 release, but it turns out it actually opened in some capacity two years ago, but it's new to me. It's on Disney+, and that is the new documentary Howard about Howard Ashman, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I'm such a fan of his work uh, going all the way back to... Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and uh, yeah, he did a play on Broadway, or a musical off-Broadway before he went to Disney and did, you know, Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin sort of changed Disney and created the Disney Renaissance. So just an incredible person, tragic story. He died in 1991 uh, of AIDS, and, you know, we lost him way too soon, but this is a great reminder of who he was and what his career was, and we were so lucky to have him for a little bit.
1: He died in 91, but he was able to do work on both Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Yes, yeah. he actually wrote <laughs> uh,
2: the Aladdin songs from his hospital bed. Alan Menken came in with a portable keyboard and they wrote songs from the hospital.
1: I, I know that he, you know, was credited on those movies, won Oscars even. Um, I just didn't realize that he died that young. I
2: knew that he had died in the early 90s. I just didn't realize it was that early. Wow. Yeah, he died before Beauty and the Beast and he was sick at the time. So they actually moved the whole recording process, like Angela Lansbury and Jerry Orbach, everyone recording the music. They moved that all from Los Angeles to upstate New York so that he wouldn't have to travel. Wow. Cool. Yeah. But a great documentary. Highly recommended.
1: All right. Let's hear from Lauren. Lauren, what did you catch up on this week?
0: I also tuned into Howard on Disney+. Plus. Um, Howard Ashman wrote songs that defined my childhood. And I knew about his story as a Disney fan and as a theater fan. So I wanted to see his story from, you know, start to finish and it's just a good reminder, you know, life is short, do what you love. And I am very grateful that he is, was here and he worked for Disney and he made these amazing shows. And fun story, one of my favorite, my favorite song from all of Disney is Part of Your World. And that was apparently going to get cut from the movie and Howard fought like hell to keep it in. So thank you very much, sir. And it's a really good documentary i love what it says about who he is and it's the work of disney animation and theater itself so if you guys are interested in that check it out
1: all right cool uh dan bear
5: i have mostly spent the week catching up on tv um trying to prep for the emmys but i did watch some movies um i like Michael, I watched An American Pickle, and you all should listen to our really fun uh, review podcast on that that we recorded and released yesterday. Um, it's it's cute. Um, it's a pleasant watch, no more, no less. I kind of wish it was better, but at the same time, I was surprised by it a little, Um And Seth Rogen is absolutely the the best work that he's done, uh, without a question. Um, I also, uh, I can talk about this now, I watched a movie called How to Fake a War, which has Jay Farrow and a bunch of uh, British people in it, and it's... mm, I still think that there is a good satire to be made about the this moment in time, or at least before the pandemic happened, but this ain't it. It tries to satirize everything about modern culture and ends up satirizing very little in the process, um, which is sad because the performers are good. Um, not one of the better films that I've seen on VOD recently.
1: All right, let's... uh. Here now, from Tom O'Brien.
3: Well, I also joined uh, uh, Michael and Dan in um, uh, praising Seth Rogen's performance in an American pickle. It was it really is his best performance to date, and uh, I was just surprised and really tickled by it. Uh, it's a, it a, it's, has a very strong first act, um, falls off in the second and especially the third act. but it's really worth your while if you have uh, HBO Max. So uh, please first listen to our podcast, too, once you see it, uh, because it was a lot of fun. Uh, I did see one documentary uh, that I thought was very strong. It's about a uh, 2016 election in which a uh, a Bulgarian wins the presidency of a country while calling the media fake news It takes place in the Philippines. Uh, It's a a film called A Thousand Cuts, which is playing now this weekend. It'd be uh, be open this weekend. It'll be playing for a few more weeks. I heard that was good. Really
1: good. Yeah, it played at Sundance to uh, great acclaim.
3: Yeah, yeah. And apparently uh, the director, uh, Ramona Estes, has trimmed it a bit, so it really does move very well. And the focus of it is a a journalist named uh, Maria Reza, And she runs this online uh, 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 news organization called Rappler, which is really the thorn in the side of uh, President Duarte of uh, the Philippines, who is murdering drug users and just uh, wants to be the same kind of autocrat that a few other people around the world want to be. It's a very, very strong documentary. I think it may be uh, part of the Oscar race once we start talking seriously about this category. Uh, but if you get a chance to see it, it's on. it will be on frontline sometimes in 2021. But uh, try, try and see it beforehand because it's very strong.
6: All righty. Cool. And Cody. Hi. Um, so this week, I spent most of the week prepping for a guest spot I was doing on um a follower of the podcast, Juan Carlos Ojano's new podcast, The One Inch Barrier, where we explore or he explores, rather uh, the foreign language nominees and winners of each year. Um, And my year was 2004, which is the year that the Sea Inside won. So I watched all those movies because I had not seen uh, any of them. Mm-hmm. Plus some more from that year that uh, were nominated in other categories like Motorcycle Diaries, House of Flying Daggers, Maria of Grace. Really a very surprisingly good year for foreign language films in the yeah. early 2000s. Okay. Um, and then in terms of 2020 movies, I, like Michael, also watched three. Um, I watched two that I reviewed for the website, one of which was the newest version of The Secret Garden, which I cannot recommend, unfortunately. Uh, it's It was surprising in that it took a book and stripped it almost entirely of plot or literary like significance. It was mostly just montages of her twirling through the garden. Um And then another movie I watched that really surprised me. It was called Uncle Peckerhead. Um, (laughs) It's uh, a horror music comedy movie about a uh, punk band that goes on tour with their new roadie. And he turns out to, um, you know, tail as old as time, be a flesh-eating monster every night at midnight. And it was... (laughs) really fun. It was very, you know, over the top and gory and if that's not your kind of movie, obviously don't watch it, but it was like the perfect movie for me to watch as somebody who's like this summer's a flop, let's move on to Halloween right now. Uh, <laughs> and then last up I watched uh, the Netflix documentary Disclosure that came out a few weeks ago, which I really enjoyed. It was really yeah. in a lot of ways and I, there were discussions of things I hadn't even realized uh were troubling, which was always, you know, um enlightening to see and it wasn't uh like defeatist in this messaging. It was actually very hopeful. Uh, not that this kind of movie needs to be, but it was a much more enlightening look than I imagined it would be.
1: Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so for myself, um, I can finally, uh, talk about the tax collector now that the embargo lift on it and just say (laughs) that it is a, uh, messy, misogynistic piece of crap. Uh, (laughs) sorry (laughs) to the David Iair fans out there. I, I, have learned recently that there are plenty, (laughs) um, red penguins what a strange wild and bizarre documentary this was <laughs> i
5: need to see this
1: <laughs> but also at the same time so much fun i had no idea i had no idea that uh a- a- after the cold war basically that russia was in just such a funk like complete like hit the reset button and it's all about like how um, a group of people all came together to try to save their hockey team, which is legendary in sports and was a huge component to um, that country's identity and legacy and rich cultural history. And it, it, it just goes off in wild, crazy directions that you're just like, this was happening the entire time. And, and it, I, you know, it, it happens during a time when I guess I was too young to be following the news and understand what was going on. But still, <laughs> Um, I watched another documentary uh, called You Cannot Kill David Arquette, and it is true. It turns out you cannot kill David Arquette. (laughs) So (laughs) I can't really say much more than that because uh, there is an embargo and there isn't even a confirmed release date yet. Right, Tom?
3: That's right. Yeah. They they initially said sometime towards the end of August, but it's very vague.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But if you are a wrestling fan or a fan of David Arquette in any way, shape, or form, I highly recommend that you check this one out. Um, And then continuing the documentary trend here, best one I think I've probably seen this year is the A24 Apple TV Plus documentary called Boy State, which really, really surprised me. Um, It was just really unusual uh, democratic experiment of just taking these young Uh, Boys. There's also a a girls group as well, but this movie focuses on the boys and putting them all together during a one week. uh, I don't know if it's like training or what you would call it necessarily, but it's like essentially uh, they're all got these different opposing views. There's liberals, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, everybody's just coming together. And it's all about them having like they're forced to work together despite their viewpoints to try and basically come up with uh, a party system. And it was really, really, really fascinating. It was enraging, uh, but also like hopeful and empowering as well. Uh, and it actually surpri- uh, surprised me with how emotional it got towards the end. I was really riveted by it. Uh, so big, big recommendation for that one.
5: It sounds like it's going to be Michael Schwartz's favorite film of the year.
1: I, I mean, I hope so. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Then there was uh, an indie film that I really, really liked uh, called I Used to Go Here, which was supposed to play at South by Southwest. Uh, this starred uh, Gillian Jacobs and Jermaine uh, Clement. And uh, it was one of those, you know, awkward, funny indie movies that is kind of unspectacular, but. There was enough thematic nuance and some really relevant themes that were uh, relatable in a very universal sort of way. When I say relevant, I don't mean like um, socially or politically. I just mean like universally. Like it's about a person who after, you know, like that feeling like when you're in college and you feel like you're limitless and there's just endless possibilities for your life, basically. But then when you get to like your 30s. Uh, Like, I'm in, Dan's in, Tom is well beyond, but, you know, hopefully Tom, uh, you know, didn't feel this way at all. Uh, But, like, you just feel like, you know, that time is just over and you wish you could get back to that innocent time where, you know, you weren't filled with so much self-doubt and failure. Uh, It's really good. It's really good. I highly recommend that one, too. Um, And then the final movie, this one was unspectacular, And it really didn't do anything for me, but I I have heard from some people it worked for them. Um, It was um, James DeRce's directorial debut, made in Italy, starring Liam Neeson and his uh, real life son, uh, Mikael Richardson. Oh, yeah. It's a fine movie. It's it's truly, truly nothing special. What does make it special is that, you know, the father son dynamic is touching upon uh, grief. In the movie, and obviously it's also playing upon uh, real life grief that they have gone through with the (laughs) death of Natasha Richardson. So in that regard, it's a special film for them. I just don't know if it's accessible to all audiences, though, necessarily. But, uh, you know, soft recommendation on that one.
2: Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa.
1: I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci.
2: And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast.
1: Each week we choose a movie to review
2: that none of us has seen
5: And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And all Oh, look, no, no, let's no, no. talk stop, about stop, this mic. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Shut up. And I shut who up. The I God watch. damn it, I shut up! I think that's enough so all
1: <laughs> Okay, so that's it for uh the watches this week. Let's move over now to what's been going on. And boy oh boy, like I said before, lots going on. I want to go in chronological order by which all the news was kind of uh, released this week, but I want to start off with the biggest one first. Mulan is coming to Disney Plus on September 4th and we will have to pay $29.99 to watch it. Plus
5: a subscription to Disney Plus if you don't already have one.
1: Exactly. Now, it has been reported that once you pay to twenty nine ninety nine, you own the movie. And it will be in your library as long as you are a continued subscriber to Disney+. Plus. So, in a way, it is kind of like, kind of, I say kind of, like buying, I guess, on physical media. You have it sitting on a shelf somewhere, but you're also paying for the Disney Plus subscription.
5: That's the thing. Like, you're basically, what you're paying them to house it. It's I,
0: like I, you're I, paying <laughs> Target to go into Target and then you're buying a DVD. Yeah
5: but also you have to <laughs> you you have to in order if you want to watch it you have to go into target
1: right and yeah. if you
5: stop paying them you can't go in
1: there, okay so there there's a <laughs> lot of big Changes that will obviously come of such a drastic move here uh, made by Disney. Uh, There were also a lot of criticisms that were thrown at them for this decision as well. Uh, Some of the ones that were just brought up involved uh, price point, not necessarily the $29.99, but also just this idea of, well, we're paying you also for the service anyway. It it would be like, you know, it would be one thing if it was available to watch $29.99 and you didn't need the subscription to their service to watch it.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: But having to pay for the subscription, I mean, it's a it's a brilliant business move on their part, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I can understand why some people are a little upset about that. And then the other thing, there is a very discerning trend happening right now where a lot of the movies that are getting announced that are set to go to PVOD happen to star people of color in the lead role as, uh, you know, evidenced by... Uh, Antebellum also being announced this week by Lionsgate to be moving in September to streaming. And that
5: was after they said that they absolutely were not releasing that to VOD. Right. Which is that was very distressing on the part of that movie. I, the whole thing is it's very I don't even know if there's a word for it other than that. Like, I don't like it. And those are all of the reasons why
0: Yeah, I don't like it either. But with Mulan, that was the basically in the first week, like it just missed it with the pandemic. Like there was a premiere already; people saw it in theater. People Mm -hmm. were pressing that movie. There was a red carpet for it. So it really is. It was one of those movies where that was going to be the guinea pig, no matter what was going to happen to it. So I understand the discourse. Like people are mad that it's moving, but it also, in my opinion, for Disney, that was going to be the first major project Disney was going to do with something.
6: And I will say, it probably inspires a bit more confidence, or it shows a bit more confidence on Disney's part, rather than something like *Artemis Fowl*, which they just like unceremoniously dumped on Disney Plus, And after seeing it, we all know why. This shows a little bit more confidence, and I mean, not necessarily the quality, but in the ability for people <laughs> want to see it.
5: Yeah, I mean, does it? Because like they, <laughs> it seems to me like they they're putting it on Disney Plus and on with at this price point. Because it costs so much money to make. Sure, but I mean also their costs as soon as possible. Because otherwise they could have just, you know, said it we're, you know, we will be we commit to releasing this in theaters, we just don't know when yet. You know, whenever it is safe to open, we will do it. And that would be the real vote of confidence, I think.
6: I just think that like if you're putting it up for that much money, it's assuming that there's a There's a bit of confidence in the studio's part that people will be wanting to pay for this. And yes, I know the Disney brand, you know, carries quality in a way with it anyway. So people might just buy it no matter what. Plus, nostalgia is extremely powerful. But I think this shows that they are like, oh, you know, the word of mouth will be strong enough that people will want to keep buying it. If that even affects Disney at all,
0: but this is showing me that Disney is losing oh so much money right now, and they are in a very very
1: very shitty situation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I believe that though, because of how much money they have to begin with. I mean, yes, they are. Are they losing money? Absolutely, but are they in a better position than say someone like A twenty four? Yeah, even
5: the other majors, they're in a better position than
6: right.
2: It's a real apples and oranges situation. They have. Holders meeting this week, and it showed it painted a dire picture if they're con- to continue down this path. And on that note, I actually do want to push back against the idea that this is you know a bad trend coming about with Disney. I think it's brilliant what they're doing here with this pay for Disney Plus and then pay the premium to get Mulan because it doesn't matter what they set it at, it doesn't matter what they require it to do it. People are going to pay it. This is a family film. Families, for the most part, are still home and they're going to have their kids at home throughout the fall. This is the opportunity to get something new, get something people have been excited for for a while, and find the new creative model in which to do it. And if this proves to be successful, I think you're going to be seeing this for a lot of other Disney-scheduled films that were supposed to be on the calendar for this year. You know, this could just be the first in a series. And then maybe Universal or Paramount or whatever other studio starts to see that this could work and finds ways to duplicate it. As someone who's very much looking toward the future of how we're going to find not streaming overtaking the theatrical model but a balance between the two of them this is a natural next step in that progression and i think it's fair for disney and for what they have to make back on this very very expensive film but also a way to keep their base satisfied for the coming months
1: i think that that's true for a studio like warner brothers who has hbo max for example but Mm -hmm. what does a studio like paramount what did they
2: do? Well, what we've seen at Paramount is they've been selling their movies to Netflix, so they are still making some sort of a profit. They don't have the Disney Plus or the HBO Max to work off just yet, although we did hear this week that they're coming out with something like they equivalent yeah, I, I, of an HBO.
1: I hear that. And I, listen, the price point is the least of my worries here. Um, you know, listen, you either have the money or you don't. And I think Michael's got a point. We're all going to pay to watch it and the studios know this and they're going to run with that. And uh, if this is to be the first in a series of other movies to do this sort of thing, then This is the way of the future, or at least uh, our current situation as it is now until, you know, things and uh, circumstances change. Like I said, my real pet peeve with all of this is more so to do with uh, the announcement of Antebellum and Mulan all kind of happening within the same week. And it just being movies that starred
2: uh, people of color in the lead
1: role. That's the thing that I was
2: like, hmm. I I think a
1: lot of that I get
2: the sentiment, but I think it's purely coincidental at this point. Because you look at the movies that were coming out this year, and there was a step toward progress in a lot of regards. Like, there were, you know, movies featuring leads of color or, you know, more female leads. Like, there was progress on the theatrical front. It's not anyone's fault that those movies aren't able to play in the theater right now. So... You know it's just a way of making them accessible rather than having to wait months and months and months and months, potentially even over a year. I like dis- just I I I, yeah. I, I appreciate you know. your positive spin on it, but I disagree.
0: I agree because I think Mulan was literally in the process of promoting the movie and premiering the movie. So, no matter what was going to happen, when it came to Disney, the first live action movie that was going to do something was going to be Mulan. Mulan was always going to be the guinea pig just because of the original date that it had, which sucks under circumstance, but it was always going to. To be Mulan.
2: Whereas something like Fast and Furious already had two months to go before it was supposed to open in May, where they were far enough out that they said, okay, we could afford to push this a year. We're not in the middle of promoting it right now.
5: Well, okay, but like, counterpoint to what you guys were saying, no time to die.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that was... Sort of in between the Fast and Furious and Mulan stages, like they hadn't started the press junket work mm, yet. Like if they had, like, if they had two, all the, the as started, to the they fireplace. weren't. A Quiet Place is a better
1: example because that one did screen uh, as well. Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah that, too.
2: That was one where they were gonna do it in September. It was gonna drop Labor Day weekend in theaters, and then as the signs were getting clear that that wasn't gonna be a viable option, they decided they could either you know still put it out in theaters and lose you know half their money because a lot of people probably wouldn't show up Labor Day weekend. Yeah, Or they could mm-hmm. put it on demand, but that is a movie that you really want to see it in theater. Mulan definitely benefits from the big screen, but a quiet, dark movie like A Quiet Place you want to have in a theater. So that's sort of like, you know, we would lose the purpose of the whole movie, whereas Mulan, it's a family movie. The kids aren't going to mind if they're watching it at Regal or on their, you know, 65-inch... A $200
1: million dollar family movie that's an epic uh, that yeah. needs... A lot of people to be subscribing to Disney Plus and buying it in order for it to make its yeah. profit. Now, I did read that there's about, what, 60 and a half million people subscribe to Disney Plus right now?
5: Yeah, I, I think the, the number I saw was like if a quarter of all Disney Plus subscribers purchase Mulan at the $29.99 price point, Disney will make its money back. Which yeah. is, or it, it, maybe not a quarter, but it was something like that, like under 50%. Yeah. And,
6: and, and like
5: that makes sense. And again, like the whole thing makes sense from a business perspective. I just don't think it's a particularly good look, especially coming in the week, the same week as Bellum, And also it's connected to connect it to, Another big news story from this week, the the whole exclusive to Disney Plus Plus paying to rent to own, like that's getting really close to a well you you can only see it if you go to this specific Disney-owned theater. And I don't know if he wants to move on to the other big news point of the year, but, like, there's a reason why studios were prevented from owning their own theaters way back in the day, and this is coming perilously close to that, and this is where streaming has been moving, and the fact that they haven't been called out for, you know, monopolies, and, like, we're basically going back to cable, which everyone was you know, abandoning because it was paying too much for all these little packages to get the things you want. And now we're moving right back to it since everyone is opening their own streaming service where everything is exclusive. Yep. And I, on the part, I get it from a business perspective, but when you're looking at it from the perspective of consumers, this is not a good trend.
1: No, and what you're referring to is the ever uh, major announcement this week that the Paramount decrees uh, have been ended, and as a result of which, it, 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 there's a lot of people saying that it's not a big deal. <laughs> That's assuming that the studios have learned their lesson, which, which Hollywood <laughs>
5: has proved this over and over again. They <laughs> learned the wrong lessons every
2: time. Right. It's so, definitely a big deal. <laughs> it's just a matter of <laughs> you, you think it's a good deal or a bad deal, but it's a big deal regardless of what you believe in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, so I want to move on from that. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what kind of business Mulan does because, quite frankly, um, depending on how successful it is and, you know, the way things continue the trend, uh, that might become the norm, as Michael was saying earlier, for a lot of other releases to follow suit. And that weekend is going to be pretty incredible, too. With that, um, I'm thinking of ending things coming to Netflix and Tenet also releasing as well. So, whew, wow. September, watch out. <laughs> Uh, what I want to do though is I want to ask really quickly, Michael, will you pay twenty nine ninety nine to watch Mulan? Yes. Dan, will you pay twenty nine ninety nine to watch Mulan?
5: I look, I'm already a Disney Plus subscriber because of Hamilton, and I paid nineteen ninety nine to watch King of Staten Island, which I was much less interested in than Mulan, so yes.
1: Lauren.
0: I might. I just graduated college, so, like, John Morgan ain't so good, and I'm probably going to save that money for Black Widow when she inevitably drops on Disney+, Plus, because that's happening. (laughs) So, maybe.
6: Cody? I don't think so. I'm not sure, but my reaction to this was, ew, so I don't think so. Tom?
3: You know, just to keep up with the conversation, yes.
6: So, this week's poll, we're
1: asking everybody... Uh, Which movie would you be willing to pay $30 to watch on PVOD right now? There were some people that said, oh, I won't pay $30 to watch Mulan, but put this in front of me and I'll watch that. So curious to know, right? And also, too, maybe uh, studios might look at the results of our poll when they post next week. Who knows? Uh, So we're asking everyone exactly that question right now. And let's find out what you guys think. Tom? Tom? What movie would you be willing to pay $30 to watch right this second from home on PVOD right now?
3: At this particular time, at this moment, I would say In the Heights.
1: Nice choice.
6: Cody? I, my answer was, first of all, I don't love this as a trend anyway, so yeah. my answer would be none probably if I had the choice. But because I just watched all of the other Bond movies in a row in the anticipation of seeing <laughs> No Time to Die quickly afterwards, I would say No Time to Die just because I don't want the Bond you know, ideas to leave my mind too soon before I can see it.
1: And I would do want to be clear, too, that uh, just on a principle level, I, I, too, don't like this trend either, but – if that's the way that we're going, got to talk about it. So <laughs> Dan Baer, what about you?
5: Promising young woman. Yes. Yes.
1: I think I would send you all $30. <laughs> that's how desperate I am for you all to finally watch this movie.
5: <laughs> it was supposed to be out in April.
1: I'll tell you this right now. I would pay $30 just to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who are we up
2: to? Michael. I would love nothing more than to see a new Steven Spielberg movie in the theater. And that's what I had planned to do with the West Side Story. But seeing as how this is probably not going to happen by Christmas, I expect to be watching that at home. And if it's $30, I will be happy to pay $30, maybe even on Disney Plus. Who knows?
6: Yeah, Spielberg would rather you not see it than have it go to <laughs> Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I think he'd be, you know, a little creative given the times we're in and, you know. Giving people a little Christmas present here, or Hanukkah present in his case.
5: He's on record as not liking it,
2: so yeah. <laughs> he might go with the flow more than uh, Mr. Nolan, I would think. He has
1: a relationship with Disney Plus, so you never know. Uh, not Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus. Sorry,
2: that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I think we're seeing it sometime this year. Put it that way. I just don't know when or where.
1: <laughs> and I know we're supposed to get a trailer very very soon for it. And I've been hearing comparisons tech-wise to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I was like, no, stop what? it. What? Don't make such <laughs> comparisons. No. Yep. Denny Villeneuve's Dune uh, is a movie oh. that I would die to see in the movie theater with the largest screen and the biggest sound humanly possible. But my anticipation when I heard that comparison tech-wise to LOTR, I was like, well... I would I would do anything to watch it right now, then I
5: I know the way you said that. It sounded like you were comparing West Side Story to the (laughs) LOTR. No, any sense at all.
6: Let (laughs) the man (laughs) finish talking before we all chime in. Let him finish. Jesus. All
1: right. So head on over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com. Tell us which movie you would pay $30 to watch. I, I don't have a none answer, but, you know, if you just want to abstain from voting, that's fine, too. Uh, but answer it as best as you can.
5: I, I will say this, though. like I may not pay for it to watch it at home, but I would pay a lot of money to, like, rent out a theater to see Dune, like, in a
1: private screening. Hmm. I think I would do that, too. Yeah. All right. So now last week's poll, we have results here. Uh, we asked everyone their favorite Seth Rogen performance. And American Pickle was not included on this list. Had it have been, I have a huge feeling it would have made the top 10 very easily. Oh, yeah. Uh, because yeah. I, I think it's undisputably the best performance that he's ever given. Performance wise, you know, you can talk about movies that you found him to be funnier in maybe or more outlandish. But in terms of actual performance, yeah, I think Seth Rogen outdid himself with this one. So let's take a look, though, at the top 10. Let's see what the uh, community gave us here. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes sir, talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelingfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. All right, so number 10 is Observe and Report. Really? That's a dark movie. Mm-hmm. Number 9 is Funny People. It's a good movie. It's all right. Number 8 Neighbors. OK, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't really have a vivid memory of that movie, to be honest with you. It's
5: fun. Yeah. I that's a movie where I, I like the movie more than I necessarily like him in
1: it.
2: Yeah, Zac Efron is the scene stealer.
5: Yeah. yeah. He is. And Rose Byrne.
2: Oh, of course. Of course. Number seven,
1: Pineapple Express. Number six. This is the end. I love him in that. <laughs> I, I like that film a lot. I think that movie is really, really funny. Yeah,
2: I agree. I like when they were making fun of uh, Jonah Hill's Oscar nominee yes. status. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Number five, Superbad. See, I I always forget that he's in Superbad. I know that he wrote it yeah. and he's like, responsible for it, but I forget that he's in it. And a lot of it.
1: like his funny moments in that are playing off of Bill Hader mostly. So I don't know if I would rank it that high because he's so like dependent on his co-star there. But pretty damn funny number four is knocked up oh (laughs)
5: that he's great that. i'm shocked it's like that seems relatively low to me
1: now here's the interesting thing there's actually a huge jump in votes from knocked up to the top three really yes wow so the top three are at number three and by the way number two and three difference of one vote oh my god Number three is
2: Longshot. Yes. Okay. Great. I'm not disappointed. I'm just sort of surprised that enough people saw Longshot.
6: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think a lot
2: of people have watched Longshot
1: after its theatrical release. Yeah. Yeah. HBO ran it a lot. That jacket, man. That jacket. I love man. it. I love it so much. <laughs> Number two <laughs> is 5050.
2: That's a great movie.
1: Okay. And number one is Steve Jobs.
0: Yes. Yes, that's
1: the hey. correct
0: answer. It All is. you dorks
1: out there. <laughs> Which reminds me of that moment in American Pickle when he's like, you invented this iPad? And he's like, no, no I, I, I wish it, I had invented yeah. the iPad. <laughs> Yo, So good. <laughs> I laugh. Well, thank you, everyone, for your votes there. Um, I, like I said, I'm sure an American Pickle would have cracked a top ten, uh, but I didn't have it listed as an option. I, 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 you know, I've been trying to, like, do this whole thing now where it's like I don't include the weekly release in the poll because I get a lot of people complaining all the time. Oh, I haven't seen it. How can I vote if I haven't seen it? Well, there you go. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. all righty. Let's talk about a trailer, actually. So, I mentioned earlier that the week of uh, Mulan releasing on Disney Plus, uh, we will also see the release of Tenet and also a Netflix release called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, who you guys might know from a few movies, being John Malkovich, <laughs> Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine, of The Spotless Mind, Synecdoche New York, no, not that one, Anomalisa, no, no, okay, well. <laughs> Listen, (laughs) Netflix is banking that you're going to watch this one. And I think this trailer definitely got people interested. Let's take a look and give some thoughts. Jake,
4: my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming on. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so weird i'm visiting jake's parents for the first time he hasn't been my boyfriend for very long
5: they really are looking forward to meeting you
4: i think you're ending things
5: hello we're here
4: oh hi oh he's all wet <laughs>
5: Here they come. Jake
0: has told us so much about
4: you. He's told me so much about both of you, too. And you came anyway. (laughs) Jake tells me you're studying quantum psychics. Mmm, physics. Really? But there's just something profoundly wrong here. Are you okay? Yeah. I think you've endings I am so glad Jake has found someone (laughs) Soon this will all be a distant memory Who is this? That's me No, it was me I tell you, I would misplace my own head if it wasn't screwed onto my own head I feel like I was seeing them as they were Seeing them as they will be Seeing them after they're gone I'm thinking of ending. You can stay here Excuse me? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. People like to think of themselves as points moving through time, but I think it's the opposite. We're stationary and time passes through us, (laughs) blowing like cold wind. Maybe this is
5: how it was always going to end. Okay. I'm so happy they've rebooted the
2: United States of Terror, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great show. I, I watched this trailer on, I guess it was Thursday whenever it dropped. And I respect Charlie Kaufman, but I'm not necessarily a fan of Charlie Kaufman. Like, I think his screenplays are great when Spike Jones is behind them. But when he went off to do, like, Synecdoche, Synec- New York and Anomalisa, I was like, oh, uh, you're a little too grumpy and dark for me. But, you know, I respect. <laughs> Creativity, if that makes sense.
1: I think he's one of the great screenwriters of our time up there with Sorkin and Tarantino. And he deserves, I think, so much more respect
2: than he receives from the industry. I get it. He's not my cup of tea, but I get what people see in him. So anyway, I'm watching this trailer and I'm thinking, oh, well, this looks a lot different at first. It's like a more straightforward Charlie Kaufman. Maybe this will be my favorite of his movies. (laughs) And then the trailer takes a turn. I'm like, oh, okay. no, we're just leaning into what you do. Even more. okay. you know, Michael, that's the beauty of watching stuff is that, you know, it might be one of your favorite movies by him when you see it. And I will. Yeah, you don't know. I will sit down and watch this on Netflix. Labor Day weekend, no doubt about it. But it was just very funny to think it's one type of movie than the trailer, like, when borderline mother, I was thinking. Like, it just went... Well, one person who knew
1: that it was going to go that route was Lauren LaMagna, because she's read the book.
0: Yeah, I'm like in this cool little unknown world where I'm just like watching everybody look through and see, like, what do you guys think? How do you like it? And I love Charlie Kaufman, and I'm really, I love him as a writer. That's my first for him, So I'm really interested to see him adapt this story. And this book is something, I think I read it like either Last summer or two summers ago, I wasn't aware that the film was being made at the time. And it is one of those, you read it all in one sitting, it goes in places you don't think it's going. It is a complete mindfuck. And when I watched this trailer, it seemed like it was the world that I was envisioning, which is always a cool thing when you watch a trailer of something you've read. But I am really interested to see how it translates into film and see people's reactions, because you know, literary devices are important in certain books like this, with you know twists and turns and things that are just weird and mindfuckery. And we call, it, you know, the hereditary of literature. So it's I'm interested to see how he brings it to life.
6: Yeah, the the horror vibes of this were really what I was attracted to, unsurprisingly. The kind of like get outy <clears throat> feeling of like, yeah, yeah. family. That's what really hooked me. And I'm like Michael. I'm kind of hot and cold on Charlie Kaufman. I think it's nice to New York is maybe my least favorite movie I've ever seen in my life. So I'm always a little bit skeptical going in. But this I am definitely excited for. See, I think it's actually
1: not going for. I, I don't think there's I, I mean, Lauren, don't mm-hmm. confirm nor deny. But my vibe from this is that this is just more weird than horror. And at the end of the day. I'm I'm all for an original Charlie Kaufman esque idea, uh, at a look at uh, you know existentialism or uh, nihilistic point of points of view. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm all for um, his view of the world because I do think that a lot of what he has to say is very profound, even if I sometimes don't agree with it. But there were some trippy visuals in this trailer for sure, but nothing that gave me horror vibes.
6: Well, I don't think it's gonna be scary. Is what I'm saying. It's just like the uneasy
1: yeah. feeling yeah. of this interaction. No,
0: yeah, it's mm-hmm. described as a thriller. That's what it is.
3: Yeah. Gotcha. So and 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 our, and our minds go there because of Tony Collette. But I think most yeah. of most most of it is uh, firmly rooted in Kaufman Land.
1: And then another thing too uh, that also got me super excited about it, other than you know the presence of Tony Collette at a dinner table once again, uh, was also <laughs> the continued rise of Jesse Buckley. Which, if you guys yes. haven't seen Beast or if you haven't seen Wild Rose, Wild Rose, I mean, Ugh. she is really, really talented. And if all you've ever seen her in is Judy and Chernobyl, I don't think you have any inkling at how much talent this actress possesses.
5: Yeah. I'm so excited. And I'm also excited for any project that um, gives into the darker side of Jesse Plemons because to me he kind of is innately creepy and I appreciate anything that leans into that.
1: Well, there's another trailer that we're going to talk about in a little bit that also kind of leans into that, so there you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's just
5: a thing with me, like, because Disney, we expect it, but how would y'all feel if Netflix charged $29.99 for you to watch this movie? It would
1: piss me off. See, there you go. I would be more pissed because this isn't a big, epic $200 million movie i i wouldn't be pissed if it was the normal regular 1999 price point that we've been seeing throughout the year Mm
3: -hmm. i can't see gathering the family around to watch this (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
5: why not i think it's perfect thanksgiving christmas family viewing
2: my mom would turn to me and say i'm thinking of ending you like (laughs) you know what i just noticed about this cast uh when we were saying the names jesse buckley jesse plemons david deal uh they were all on Seasons of Fargo. So maybe this is just, you know, a new Noah Hawley project and we don't know it. I don't think that that's true, but that's an interesting
1: uh, connection regardless. <laughs>
5: that would be quite a twist. Right. Yeah.
1: So another thing too, end up about this trailer, I do want to mention really quickly. Um, I really, really like the four by three aspect ratio uh, by mm-hmm. uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name and I'm so sorry. And I know I've interviewed him before. Lucas, too. I feel so bad. It look, it's Lucas. Yeah. Zal. Zal.
5: It it gave me weird like. It kind of reminded me a lot of the visuals reminded me of Garden State, except like warped and weird and more trippy, which I'm here for that.
1: I I, I saw my uh, one of my friends Jason uh, pointed this out. He said uh, Netflix uh, cut the trailer like they would an A twenty four trailer, and yes, I think that that was very apparent uh, from. The look of the movie, the vibe of the movie, the way the trailer was cut, everything else. And I think they are leaning into that a little bit here. So, yeah, we'll see how it all uh, turns out coming sooner than we expect. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, let's get excited.
5: Also, stealth makeup and hairstyling contender at the Oscars. Maybe there was some work done there. This old mage makeup looks really good. Mm
0: -hmm. Who knows? Why not?
1: All right. Transitioning over now to lots of other news this week. Let's start off with some award season news. Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock will have its world premiere as the opening night film for New York Film Festival uh, 58. This is uh, one of five movies in the anthology series known as Small Acts*, which did receive a teaser this week as well. Uh I felt a little bad for the teaser because it did come after a trailer that we're going to talk about a little bit here. So it almost felt a little uh, diluted a bit in a way, but at the same time, visually and just project wise, based on everything that we've heard about this so far uh, with lovers, rock mangrove, uh, Alex Weedle education, red, white, and blue. I'm just excited to have more Steve McQueen back in our lives again.
5: Yeah,
3: Yeah. we need it.
1: Um, I, so unconfirmed, by the way. But based on talks that I've been having so far, I'm under the assumption that these will all be contending for TV movie at the Emmys.
5: Really? Which makes sense because that's what it is. It's an anthology series. Each episode is its own standalone thing.
2: On BBC and
1: Amazon
5: Prime. Yeah.
2: And yeah, I don't it was meant for, for TV. How, I don't understand how it's different than the Romanoffs.
5: Or uh, the the uh, connection I immediately made was like Sherlock.
2: That's what I was thinking too. Was its
5: own movies, yeah. but even then, like this doesn't seem like an ongoing series, right? It's just okay. this one-time thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but the other analog is, of course, Black Mirror. <sighs> Black Mirror. And yep. even though that is like a series, but you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, they
3: tend to um, uh, push one episode yeah because uh, emmy being an emmy voter you don't have much uh you you really can't see all of them so it's like all right what do i watch and, and whatever they push we watch
1: and from what we understand lovers rock is apparently the strongest film of the uh anthology here and we also uh learned that mangrove and red white and blue will also be part of uh new york film festival's main slate so three of the uh of the, of the five are going to be playing there. Speaking of other of festivals, uh, Telluride announced their lineup. Uh, so now we know what the official selections were for this year's uh, Telluride Film Festival. And now going through that list, uh, so the Telluride Film Festival lineup definitely was a bit, a, a bit underwhelming. But I mean, what can you expect given the kind of year that we've had so far? You know, you had Ammonite, which it looks like it is uh, going to be the Marriage Story, Roma, of this year where it plays everywhere and The Father uh, which is supposed to be playing at TIFF was also supposed to play at Telluride which I think is very very smart uh, because they're obviously going to try and get Anthony Hopkins in there and uh, Nomadland uh, was also supposed to play at Telluride but there's um, some other stuff in there too like uh, Nocturno um, MLK uh, slash FBI I don't know how we're supposed to say that one yet um <laughs> uh-huh. You also had To The Moon, The Truffle Hunters, The Way I See It, Dear Mr. Brody.
5: So are you feeling a little bit better about the fact that you're not
1: going to tell you right this year now that the lineup was announced, Matt? Well, but here's the thing, though. I think. Prior to everything related to COVID happening, mm-hmm. the lineup would, oh, have, yeah, been would have been much different, been
5: completely different. yeah. yeah. But then they were still saying that it was going to happen still for a couple months after.
1: You would not have heard me complaining about it getting to see Nomadland and Ammonite. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) And then who knows whatever surprises would have been thrown in there, you know? Mm -hmm. True. So... Uh, Other film festival news here. Uh, The 20th Tribeca Film Festival uh, has been moved. Um, It's now taking place uh, from June 9th to the 20th. It originally pretty much all the time takes place in April every year. So uh, very, very smart by them to move it out a couple of months, even though it's next year. Uh, You know, I think that everybody right now needs to be looking at it that way and uh, moving their – Uh, festivals around same thing with uh, sundance sundance moved to the last week of january to uh, get out of the way of the inauguration and they also shortened uh, the festival as well just down to one week so a lot of changes happening around there Mm -hmm. Uh, the gotham awards also uh were moved back uh two months i believe it was which you know supposed to be lining up with the Oscars, uh, which, you know, no no surprise there. Uh, November 20th to January 11th. And, you know, it makes me wonder about a couple of different things when I start to see all these dates move. And it's something that I know we're all going to continue to keep talking about week after week after week. And that is end of year awards, critics top 10 lists. Are we doing them in December? Are we doing them before the Oscars? I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but this conversation is not going away anytime soon. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just something to keep in mind there. Uh, we got our first look at The Devil All the Time from Netflix. Got some photos released featuring uh, members of the cast. Big cast, by the way. Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Riley Keogh, Eliza Scanlon, Bill Skarsgård, Sebastian Stan. I, I,
5: I feel like I don't know enough about it.
0: <laughs> Give me Sebastian Stan's face. I am there.
2: So. <laughs> the cast of is pretty, pretty. Yeah, Christine and uh, After School.
1: I mean, I'm excited over the fact that it's Antonio Campos' next film following Christine, yeah. which I thought was really underappreciated and really well done. Mm-hmm. But you know, we'll we'll see how this how this works out. It looks like it's going to be a pretty uh, big uh, raw ensemble piece from everybody. And you know how it is when you're trying to juggle that many performers. Uh, you know, does everybody get enough time? Who gets pushed to the side? Could be a disappointment. We'll see. Bradley Cooper.
2: In talks to star in Paul Thomas Anderson's 1970s drama. That That is very exciting to me. And it's like mm-hmm. a acting coach, I think. And it follows a school in the valley in the 70s. Uh, it, it just sounds like a great part. Always excited for a new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And Bradley Cooper, the guy, is just crushing it film after film. So, you know, let's see what he has next.
1: Eight Oscar nominations. Eight. I was just going to say,
6: this would be his ninth. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. PTA yeah. PTA has only uh, gotten Stanley Lewis the Oscar, right? That's the only award-winning performance he's uh, directed. Yes. Tons and yes. omni- omnis, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah th- this sounds like a great part. And apparently DiCaprio turned it down.
6: What?
1: Yeah. There's like a whole like vault of movies that DiCaprio has turned down over the years, <laughs> <true. you> know? <laughs> Cooper,
2: like that guy is really overdoing my mind. So you know, let's do it here. I, don't, I haven't even seen the movie. Let's do it. DiCaprio's getting ready to uh, shoot
1: *Killers of the Flower Moon*, uh, $200 million Martin Scorsese film from Robert De Niro. That's uh, that's moving along. Next so that's really excited. Oh.
6: Is that going to be Netflix, too? Do we know?
1: Uh, no, Apple TV. Oh, boy. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a co-con between Apple
2: and Paramount.
1: I don't know if you guys saw uh, this story. I think it might have flown under the radar. I think maybe some people thought it might have been a joke. Uh, but the Hollywood Foreign Press got sued this week by a Norwegian entertainment reporter who was citing a culture of corruption uh, and that they were uh, abusing their power to suppress uh, competition. And... This was just like,
2: wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, that was just part one. That came out on Monday, and then on Friday, the HFPA president died. Yeah, yeah. This year, this
1: year is insane. This is so crazy.
6: Our I day mean, day. calling them a corrupt organization—it's like, yeah, we know. Like, duh. Yeah, <laughs> that's part of it. <laughs> like we all
5: know. That there's not. That's not news.
6: Yeah, a pocket watch can buy you best director, as we know.
1: <laughs> Listen, if Tom Hardy's Al Capone taught me anything this year, it's don't fuck with your taxes, people. Yeah, you know, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, so, Disney is looking to sell "Woman in the Window" starring Amy Adams to Netflix. <laughs> I mean, how? I have
5: two Why things. Not? Like, one is like how is this taken so long? And the other two is you're not just
6: putting it on Hulu. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. Go right there.
2: I think I know why this is happening. I was thinking about it and I was surprised like both of you that, uh, it wasn't going to be at Hulu since it's a Disney property and Fox is now under Disney. But part of me is thinking this is part of the Netflix strategy to make the fall season about Amy Adams leading up to Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, I, it makes sense on the part of Netflix.
5: I just don't under, necessarily understand it on the part of Disney.
6: Well, like if we're Netflix was, we want to play, pay a pretty penny. They're getting penny money. Exactly. If like we just talked about, they're not, you know, their profits aren't where they want to be. They might be like, fine, just give that woman to Netflix. You know, it's yeah. money. <laughs>
1: uh, Sony has picked up the Wendy Houston biopic. I want to dance with somebody. Screenplay is being done by Oscar magnet Anthony McCartan.
3: <laughs> oh, no. <The>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that said, uh, I don't know how I feel about him writing it, but if this movie does not include a behind the scenes of the ABC Cinderella with Brandy and Bernadette Peters, that is going to be a missed opportunity. Which,
5: why is that not on Disney Plus?
2: I would pay $30 to watch that on Disney Plus.
5: Hell yeah.
2: Uh, This is being directed by
1: Stella uh, Mechie, who uh, did the photograph earlier this year. Fine movie. Nothing necessarily wrong with it. Uh, Went under the radar, though, and... Listen, yeah, this is, uh, you know, listen, you have Anthony McCartan writing your screenplay. Whoever gets uh, cast to play Whitney Houston's probably going to get an Oscar nomination. That's the way it works with him. So,
2: mm-hmm. when we I think possibly of Whitney, do that, though. I think Anthony McCartan, yeah. I mean, that's going to be an interesting casting process. will it be someone we know or a total unknown. Like, who could fill those shoes?
0: I don't know, but good luck to her.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Nia DaCosta on a roll.
1: Candyman set to release later this year. She has been tapped by Kevin Feige over at Marvel to direct Captain Marvel 2. What do you guys think?
2: This new phase of Marvel is fascinating to me. Even as someone who was not all that interested in Avengers and Endgame, that type of stuff, seeing the talent that they're bringing in for their new movies makes me interested in seeing them. I I do agree a
1: bit, Michael. I'm still a little post-Endgame worried about are they going to try and replicate the same kind of formula and bring everybody together for another super group team up movie again a couple years from now are they going to try and do something totally different so i'm in a wait and see let's wait and see phase with it all but in terms of like the casting uh, well not the casting but like the decision to go with uh directors who are on the verge of making it big who have had some indie uh success like a taika watiti or like um They did with uh, Ryan Coogler, uh, for example. You know, Nia DaCosta, I mean, I definitely think it shows faith in the strength of Candyman, which is also exciting that they believe that that's going to be um, a a big movie for her. And if you guys haven't seen Little Woods, highly recommend checking that one out, too.
0: And as the token comic book Marvel chick on the team, I'm very excited about this. Um, Captain Marvel wasn't my favorite MCU movie in the last phase it's pretty much on my bottom half of that list so I'm interested to see you know someone else tackle that story it's a hard character to adapt well because she just in general has never been a ridiculously popular character I'm really interested to see who they're going to get to write the story and as someone who you know I have experience with these comics I do I'm 95 percent sure of where Kevin Feige is going to go and I'm trusting that he is casting and hiring really good creative people for the specific projects, and then he's tying them all together. And n- judging by where I think he wants to go, it's going to be pretty cool. So I don't think, nothing's going to compare to you know the original Vendor's Infinity Saga, but um, what's coming up, if I'm right, is going to be pretty cool. All
1: right. Uh, did you guys check out Damien Chazelle's uh, short film that he shot vertically on the iPhone this week?
2: Not yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It's
1: nine minutes long, and it is freaking awesome. (laughs) Whoa. It's really cool. I I had someone joke with me and message me, are you guys going to review that on the podcast? I'm like, no, but (laughs) it's pretty cool, (laughs) though, regardless. (laughs) This was really exciting news. Our friends over at One Perfect Shot are teaming up with Ava DuVernay to do a docu-series for HBO Max where they explore iconic images from movies. I, guys... As someone who grew up, like, watching uh, some television programs about movies and eating that stuff up, things like Roger and Ebert or the AFI Top 100 lists or any list that they would put out whenever those uh, were around, anything dealing with movies that I could watch, like, on television made professionally, I... Loved it so much and you know YouTube has been great there have been some really great YouTube channels that have analyzed film have done really really creative music montages and you know there's a lot of great content out there but it's so refreshing to see that there's going to be something that's like professionally produced by a major studio that is going to just take a look at the magic of cinema. I I, like I'm in love with this. I'm just so in love with it. And congratulations to everyone at One Perfect Shot as well.
6: Matt, you're so right about that, kind of like developing a budding cinephile taste. I also watched those kinds of like montage-y countdown specials and it really made you excited to watch these movies and like see the moments they're talking about in context. And it's really important to like, again, helping develop a young cinematic language.
2: It reminds me of from 1992, remember Visions of Light? Yes, you're right, Michael. Yeah, that's a great movie if you haven't seen it. Just like, you know, understanding cinematography through clips and, you know, stuff from back in the old days of film history leading up to back then what was current in 1992. It was interesting stuff, and we don't get enough of that today, so... If we get something like this on a streaming platform, that would be really interesting.
1: Ben Affleck hopping back in the director's chair again for Big Goodbye uh, being made by Paramount. This is uh, going to be exploring the behind the scenes story of the making of Chinatown.
2: I'm excited for this. And I know Live by Night really wasn't anything special, but Affleck has the chops behind the camera. We've seen it through Gone Baby Gone, The Town, and of course, his best picture winner, Argo. Mm-hmm. And this has like a really interesting story. I know he's attached himself to a lot, so we'll see if it actually comes to fruition. But I'm excited to see him back doing what I think he's really talented at doing. So uh, I'm I'm really rooting for him here because it would be nice to see him, you know, healthy and working and doing good stuff again.
1: I'm worried about two things. I'm worried about inevitable comparisons to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm worried about uh, casting Roman Polanski.
2: Well, that's the wrong plan. Yeah. So, yeah, you you saw that in Hollywood
5: a lot. But but like, people are going to have opinions on how he is
2: portrayed in this movie, right? Okay, well, we're at a point in a culture right now where we can't even have a character.
5: I mean, we're not putting money. That's That's where we are.
2: Yeah,
0: and a
3: lot will depend on the angle they take on it.
0: Yeah, if he's portrayed in a positive light, it's not going to end up good.
5: No. No. I mean, but, like, he the, he has to be, like, kind of, like... That's why it's a bit of a pickle. Yep. Yeah, like... Mm.
1: <laughs> An American pickle. But I'm... Um, call back. Uh, speaking of Quentin Tarantino, Star Trek reboot got brought back up in the news again this week over at Paramount. <laughs> oh, boy. Of course it did. Oh, it is, though, right? It was someone else's, wasn't it? No, apparently they're running ahead with his idea. Oh. Which apparently is in... A, <laughs> Supposedly like a 1930s gangster setting? Of course. Yeah, yeah,
3: that that, that episode, a piece of the action from, I think, from the second season, uh, was was set there.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to be like an earthbound uh, setting, apparently. I, you know, listen, I'm not a Trekkie by any means, but.
3: (laughs) It was funny to see uh, Spock with a fedora in that episode. We'll see what he does with it.
1: I just, I can't see this being a thing. I, I really can't. I just.
6: Well, especially because. The, the Star Trek franchise, like it started strong and I like Star Trek Beyond, but I feel like the cultural conversation is just not there. And it's been it's going to be at least five years since the last one came out, unless um, they're really doing the, their absolutely own thing with it. And everybody's going to want
1: to move over in conversation to the Eternals probably as well. You know, mm-hmm. When it comes to, like, alien beings in space, you know, franchise, blockbuster filmmaking, I just think Eternals is going to be the thing that everyone's talking about. Yeah.
3: (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and is this going to be Tarantino's big tenth blast?
1: No, I think he's only – I think he's only written something for it and uh, they're moving ahead potentially with his idea. I don't even know if it's the full screenplay. I mean, I don't buy anything about this project ever coming true anyway, so that's, like, my – final say on the matter. It's like it's fun, it's interesting, and ultimately I feel like it's just one big joke that's
2: never going to materialize.
5: Mhm.
2: Well, what I heard this week was that the Noah Hawley uh Star Trek was halted. Well, I think he was set to direct it. So Noah Hawley was directing the Quentin Tarantino script?
1: No, I think that I think it's an idea from Tarantino that they might that they're toying around with.
2: Okay, cuz I thought I was under the impression that there was more than one Star Trek floating around to Paramount. So the whole thing is just very confusing. We'll see if it actually happens. Yeah, I mean, that's a property
1: that they're not going to give up anytime soon, regardless, though. No. Okay, And our final trailer for this week. This came out of nowhere, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. And we mentioned before, Jesse Plemons. This is Judas and the Black Messiah set for a 2021 release date. No specific date at this time. Directed by Shaka King. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one.
3: Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed
0: brothers and sisters of every color.
5: Their aim is to show hatred and inspire terror.
0: I will learn all that I can. I that I
5: can. These ain't no terrorists. You
3: can murder you can't murder liberation. You can murder revolutionary, but you can't
4: murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom.
5: I'm a god for the people that I leave for the people. I'll for the people that I love. That's is how you do a motherfucking trailer. That
1: is probably the best trailer I've seen this year. I
5: that. Holy fuck.
1: I have a hard time remembering trailers cuz I see so many, but I I really do think that that at the end of the year this one will probably stand out in my mind as something that just Gave me chills. And by the time the title just came up on the screen mm-hmm. and it said it was coming, you know, 2021, I immediately was like, well, I want to see that right now.
6: <laughs> Daniel Kalea has really made uh, really done a good job after his Oscar nomination, which I think he should have won um, in terms of picking projects that are like reflective and good of what he can do with his power as a star. Mm-hmm. Um you know, between Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, he's really obviously making very conscious choices. It would be very easy to kind of steer into the Black Panther lane and do blockbuster type things if he wanted to. I'm sure he'd have those offers. Um, and I think this is indicative of that like direction of his career. It's really smart.
1: Yeah, I think so too, Cody. And this performance looks like it's a firecracker. Just there's so much oh going God. on here. <laughs> The power
5: of this trailer, like, truly.
2: His accent work and his charisma and just everything he could do, he's really, you know, I think, on track to become one of our greats.
1: And I think Lakeith Stanfield uh, looks to be doing uh, really interesting work in here as well. Um, You know, the trailer, it it functions a little bit more as like a teaser in a sort of way, in that it doesn't give uh, a ton of information. But uh, from what we saw visually, it looks like the movie is going to be following the perspective of Lakeith Stanfield more so. And Daniel Kaluuya will be uh, potentially a supporting, will they campaign him in lead type player, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and also, too, way to give away a spoiler in the title of your uh, film. <laughs> when you <laughs> When you watch the trailer and then you know the title of the movie, it's like, oh, well keep Stanfield's obviously going to betray him.
5: <laughs> well, it's based on a true story. You know? Yeah.
1: Like, so oh, well, we I already, mean, yeah. You
5: already know. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> just Google Fred Hampton. Tell me what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, too, uh, Sean Bobbitt, cinematography. This, it, it, it,
5: it looks great. <laughs> it looks awesome. <laughs> I and, mean, the man.
1: And a King, who's, uh, I really had not been familiar with his work. I think he has something that he did in the early 2010s that flew completely under the radar. Um I don't remember what it was called, but it wasn't uh a... let me see here, but he hasn't really yeah been on anybody's radar for the most part. He had one, yeah, so he did a movie called Newly Weeds in 2013. That's really all I've got. <laughs> wow, yeah. So it's not his directorial debut, but maybe it'll be like, you know, when Barry Jenkins came out with Moonlight and everybody was like, wait, he did something else before this. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So
0: I just want to see this so badly.
1: I want to see it for Daniel Kaluuya's performance. I I really think that that what we got here was just such a great tease. It was excellent. Great way to get me excited and get me hyped for it. Mm -hmm. I can't stop watching the trailer like oh the night that it uh, premiered i must have watched it like 4 times
5: Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a
1: part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Fan questions, and then we'll call it a day here. Let's end with some questions for everyone. Richard Houlihan asks, what are your thoughts on Brendan Gleeson playing Donald Trump in Showtime's The Comedy Rule? Uh, Comey Rule, sorry.
2: (laughs) I think the whole thing looks ridiculous, and I will watch it because it's uh, Billy Ray and a talented cast and a story I'm interested in. But... This story is still ongoing. It is exactly. so
6: yeah
2: early to have this that it, it, it just seems like way too premature.
6: Yeah, I want the inevitable mm-hmm. Trump movie universe, unfortunately, to happen well after his presidency when I can watch it with any sort of remove.
1: I, I feel the exact well,
6: same way. But if it's going to have
3: to happen, it, but you, you, you've got a, uh, an actor of uh, Gleason's uh, ability to do it. Uh, I'm curious to see what he does with it. I'm not sure he'll be able to do any much more beyond the cartoon, but
2: let's see. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say the one great piece of casting is uh, Holly Hunter as Sally Yates. Like, you cannot do any better than that. that yeah. is yes.
1: Scott Kernan, uh, which directors, writers, not actors, directors, writers, do you think stand a chance of receiving the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award? And which actors stand a chance at receiving the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian
2: Award in the future? The thing with the Thalberg is that it's like not just for a good career, but it's like an extraordinary career outside of film, like where you're doing humanitarian work or just really great stuff for the world. So, as for actors, I could see someone like George Clooney getting that one day.
0: Leo. That was my thought see, too. I could see Leonardo getting that. Um,
2: directors, what director Ooh. can I see? Ava.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I could see Ava getting it. Isaiah Washington, which of these filmmakers' aspects do you love more: their writing or their directing? Wes Anderson, directing, directing. Yeah, directing,
6: directing. Depends on the
0: movie. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson fan, but I'll say directing.
6: Cody, choose one. Uh, uh, Writing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm (laughs) different.
1: Spike Jones,
0: writing,
5: writing, writing,
1: directing. I'm going with directing. Christopher McQuarrie, directing,
5: directing, I'm going to say writing. I
6: mean, yeah, the scripts are good. Hmm. Directing. D. Reese, directing, 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 directing. Directing. And I
1: still have not seen the last thing they wanted or he wanted or whatever it was called. (laughs) But you definitely don't. The the last thing you wanted. (laughs) 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 Uh, And the last one here, Andrew Stanton, writing.
0: Ooh. Um
2: uh, Writing. John I, Carter. I, just, I, so good. I guess. Writing.
1: Yeah. Writing. He's got so many co-writing credits on other Pixar movies, it kind of balances out Carter for me. But since Carter was his directing after the Pixar films, I, I got to go with yeah. writing.
6: Well, he's maybe been my favorite directed animated film of all time. Yeah. So not that even yeah.
0: It's writing, yeah. then he also has like the original story credits. So it's just like, that's his baby.
1: Yeah. One Carlos Oyano. Do you think there's any chance that the Academy will rescind their rule change and actually go back to their regular eligibility period for the 2020 Oscars? (laughs) Lol, no. No. That's cute. There's too many moving pieces for them to change it at this point. But, like, why would they change it? Which leads me to this point about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. When they say 2021, they better mean January or February, so help me God.
5: They they would not have released even a teaser this early unless...
2: They were like <laughs> there we go. February Black History Month. Let's do it before cutoff. There you mm-hmm. go. I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Do I uh, do a
1: premiere at Sundance and then have it released wide in February? Ooh, that would be very cool. Carson Timar asks, are films going to film festivals uh, going to get a boost from going to the festivals uh, this award season? Or are they going to suffer from being in the conversation too early? Uh,
2: it all th- depends on I mean, it- when
1: and where. It's the same as any year in terms of that, I think. I kind of agree with you, but think about it from this perspective. September until April is such a long time, especially if something gets declared the front runner.
5: Yeah. I but I think that the way that this year is going, I do think that people will be slightly more hesitant to call something a front runner that Oof. early. I
0: mean, it's always hard to keep the momentum going.
3: That was terrifying. <laughs> I think festivals, uh, festival inclusion will really help international. Ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They it, it will allow us to uh, take a look at the players a little more clearly now than if they weren't having the festivals.
5: And I think that this year in particular, festivals are less about showing awards predictors as just getting audiences for these smaller movies.
1: I am going to apologize in advance if anyone is listening from Netflix, but I think this could be helpful. Jess Hartman 22 asks, which film from Netflix's Oscar slate this year. Do you think has the greatest chance of being a dud? <laughs> Listen, let's, let's, let's be honest here. They have a huge, huge lineup and not everything is going to land. That's the reality. That's just facts.
0: Are you talking about not getting nominations or are you talking about just being bad?
5: <sighs> and also, like, what are we clarify What are we classifying as an Oscar contender from them?
1: Let's let's go with let's go with the movie that. Doesn't let, let's let's be kind and let's say the movie that doesn't get uh, a single Oscar nomination, maybe.
2: I'll, I'll say the movie from the director of Pan and the Soloist. The <laughs> woman in the window. Well, but that wasn't that was never gonna be an Oscar contender. Ooh. Well, they're putting it in the fall, it looks like, so it's gonna contend for something. And it
1: also hasn't officially sold yet, so let's wait and see.
6: I hope I'm wrong, but the reaction to the Rebecca stills this weekend were not huh? promising. Oh. <laughs> so I which is sad, I, mean, I think those stills are
5: gorgeous
6: i, th- I think it's th- i think
1: that's the one i i swear to god i am not rooting against nicole ackman in any way shape or form but <laughs> i i have said from day one the fact that ben wheatley is attached to directing that is to me uh the big warning sign <laughs> that that movie is not going to be accessible but hey he might make also his most accessible film yet i'm just saying the track record is there for it to be something that ampus does not go for
0: I'll yeah. say the devil all the time probably won't get in.
1: Okay. It's just too much. And I and also, too, I, I could see, and, you know, it, it, it's possible. It depends on how big West Side Story is. But I could see a world where, like, West Side Story takes all of the musical thunder away from the prom. Like, the prom could still be good. Yes. But I, I could see, like, nominations-wise, maybe it just...
5: Yeah, I don't see the prom happening in terms of Oscar. Ryan Murphy does not have that kind of track record. Yeah, we'll see. The prom
2: will be a Golden Globe musical comedy type of thing.
5: I'm very nervous. Yeah, the prom is like a Mamma Mia level
2: sort of thing. It's
5: not an Oscar. It's not an awards movie. It's a populist movie. Yeah, it's like
1: Hairspray.
3: Yeah, a good yeah Uh, yeah like uh, sound mixing and costumes.
1: Toby Hill asks if the last 2 Oscar years had been combined what what would be the best picture lineup what i want to So i think what they're asking is let's take the best picture nominees from the last 2 years put them together but you got to drop some off which ones make it into a single best picture lineup
2: yeah well for the sake of you know combining we have 9 and 8 so depending on how the sliding scale works why don't we just make it 10 Let's see. We have Green Book would get in. Yes. Then yep. Black Bohemian Klansman. Rhapsody
0: would
2: get in. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: Ugh. It would get in. Ugh. I I, so hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I want to do it this way. Go. Let's go by how everything performed. Because Black Klansman, yes, it's an adapted screenplay winner. But I would be more... Okay, so for like example, almost every Best Picture nominee wins an Oscar, right? But... The ones that won just like one, like Vice for example like take that out Black Klansman I would say it's fringe I wouldn't say it's in, No. Yeah. but like Roma Bohemian, nineteen seventeen, Green Book Parasite hell I think the I think the Irishman is out
5: yeah <laughs> I think the Irishman and Star is born and um Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are out
1: oh yeah. Hollywood oh I in. think Hollywood's in too yeah
5: did he win anything. Yeah, hey, but it was like Black third Panther.
1: place
3: last year. Yeah, week. one, two. Um, I think the favorite is borderline, I'm afraid.
5: Favorite would be
0: out. I'd put keep Black Panther in.
2: I don't know about Black Panther.
0: I'd keep it in.
1: I, I I, think there's only room for one superhero or qu- comic book movie,
2: rather, and I think, I think Joker, Joker gets in over Joker. it. Joker. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so let's see if we have 10. It's Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. Roma, Parasite. Mm hmm. Joker, mm-hmm. 1917, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, we have room for three more. So maybe the Irishman does get in.
1: But also from the year prior, maybe Black Klansman then as well. Dead in yeah, that case. Yeah, the Irishman, mm-hmm.
2: Black Klansman, and then one more from uh, maybe Jojo. No,
5: Jojo's not
2: going on. No, it's I think print.
5: it might. I mean, it won, and Taika tt is,
2: you know, big. I would say Jojo were the favorite between them. I'm gonna say the favorite.
1: I would say the, I, I would the say favorite,
2: the favorite. Yeah. Oh, we, favorite got a director yeah. nomination. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: and a best yeah and
2: a best actress is going. Okay. So a star is born, Mrs. Vice, Mrs. Black Panther, Marriage Story, Little Women, and Jojo. Oh, and Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. 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 Well,
1: that was fun. Let's not do it. Let's not do it again sometime. Um, no. <laughs> Ethan May, the movies below got Oscar nominations but didn't win a single one. Choose what that movie should have won for, but you are replacing the winner of that year. So
6: so this is going off the actual nominees,
1: not what we wanted to win. Cor- uh, correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first one is The Sixth Sense. Haley, Best uh, Picture. Screenplay.
2: I, too, would yeah, say screenplay. screenplay. Yeah. Oh, so it could be any category. No, it's got to be a category it was nominated for. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, so it doesn't have to be Best Picture. It could be whatever it was nominated for. Right. Yeah. Okay. I say, say Tony Collette.
5: Me, too. Yeah, I say Haley out,
2: out,
0: a out of Angelina Jolie. I'm not taking no, that away yeah. from her.
5: I am. I, no, <laughs> I I love Tony Collette in the movie, but I, I I go back and forth on her and Chloe Sevigny mm. for that win that year.
6: Oh, you can know Yeah. Tony, I, Angelina, and Chloe are all really good that year, but Tony Collette, I I I think that performance is a miracle. The movie doesn't work without It it,
5: it. it is so so good.
0: American Beauty can live without the writing one. <laughs> yeah, yes,
6: it
5: like can. The Sixth Sense definitely uh, I still don't know how it lost that year like that Well
2: Alan Ball was huge yeah. and that movie was you know Yeah that based was a
5: steamroller like I genu- I generally think it was just release the timing of the release because mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense but, was that that the the twist in quotes was like that was all anyone was talking about in 1989
6: yeah yeah but I the think Malkovich had a better chance than even the sixth sense and I love the sixth sense. I mean that's that, true
1: yeah.
5: that
6: horror
1: bias Jesus, geez it's rough uh next one really up on, on the list here is fatal attraction nominated for editing adapted screenplay supporting actress best actress best director, and best picture. Hmm. Um, so Who's giving it, it to easy. Glenn? Yeah, like, it's a, obviously Glenn Close, right?
5: Yeah. Like, I can <laughs> to take it away uh-uh. from Cher. <laughs> like, I don't want to take it away from Cher,
6: but if yeah, we're running the I game and we have to... Well, here's the then tricky then thing. I I would take it away from share for Glenn Close, but I my winner that year is Holly Hunter. So I don't know if that's the question. Well, yeah. No, fair. it's not. You
2: know but...
6: what I'm gonna do? <laughs> 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 I'm gonna give Fatal Attraction
2: editing. So I don't know. That's what I'm gonna quotes. do too, Michael. People... Yeah, I agree with
0: that. editing.
2: Yeah, the, oh, the, uh, the roller coaster, and then the bunny. Yeah, I think there's some really. Oh, fun. okay.
5: Yeah, fine. Over Last Emperor. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, and it's Michael Kahn. I think it all works out for the best.
3: And Cher still has her
5: Oscar.
2: Yes. And Glenn Close still has none.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Womp womp. It's the balance of the universe. It's the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) It's God's
5: will.
1: The Shawshank Redemption.
5: Ugh, none.
1: Me too, Dan. Thank you. (laughs) No, you need to pick something. That's the
6: game. Uh, Hold on. No. Yes, that's the game.
5: (laughs) I I reject. I reject. I abstain.
1: Dan,
6: that's the the the
1: game. Okay.
6: Listen, it can get cinematography over Legends of the Fall. That's fine. It's Deacons, whatever. But I don't give it any wins, personally.
5: Yeah, I would not. I would not give it any wins that year. Like, sorry.
2: You guys are (laughs) savages. Cinematography.
5: I know. Had had what's his face been nominated for best supporting actor, that would have been the closest
1: that it would have come. I would give it best adapted screenplay over uh, Forrest Gump. No. no. Yeah, I said what I said. Even even then, I would have given it to Quiz Show. So get busy living or get busy dying. Come on, guys.
2: <laughs> even though Forrest Gump should have won there too. Which one, Michael? Far as Gump should have won cinematography, but I'll give it to Shawshank for the sake of this.
1: All right. Next one. The Color Purple.
2: <laughs> uh, there's, there's some good ones there. God, these movies. I... <laughs> Dan's like, they did win for a reason. <laughs> I, I am definitely giving it to Whoopi.
6: <laughs> Me too.
5: Hold on. Year? What year was that? 85.
6: So Geraldine Page. The Trip to Banffville.
5: Oh, no. Not oh, taking it away fine. from
6: that. No. 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 I no.
5: Fine. I'd give it Best Supporting <laughs> Actress. I I'd...
1: Avery or Winfrey?
5: I, I either I, I don't have a preference but I, if I had to choose one one of those
6: also though for best picture out of Africa is beyond a dud so honestly <laughs> anything in that category <laughs> winning over this time by me
5: I, I mean I'd give it to kiss the spider woman myself but
1: I mean, if it was between The Color Purple and Out of Africa, I'm choosing The Color Purple. So I I agree, Cody. Like, that's a very easy choice. Just give it the Best Picture win.
5: (laughs) I Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I I take it back. I take it back. The win that I would give it is for Best Original Song. Okay. All right. Because Say You, Say Me is terrible. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. And we're going to end it here from uh, Sam James Peck with a little bit of this or that. Oh, God. (laughs) So I'm going to give you guys two options. You got to choose one or the other. Here we go. Marriage Story or Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer. I, too, am saying Kramer versus Kramer. Wow. I'm actually Mm -hmm. a little surprised by myself on that one (laughs) because I loved Marriage Story.
2: Damn. As did I bet. Kramer is Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. 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 Rocky or Raging Bull? Raging Rocky. Bull. Rocky. Oh my God.
6: Rock. Rocky, one of my favorite best picture winners.
1: <laughs> the Lion King or Beauty and the Beast? And these are originals, not remakes. Beauty Lion and the Beast. King. The Beauty and the Beast. The and the Beast. The the Beast. King. Lion King. Beauty what? and the
6: Beast. It's close. They're both tens, but Beauty and the Beast. They are both tens. Beauty and the Beast Absolutely. Is
1: the best. Absolutely. <laughs> a nine and a ten. Moonlight or If Beale Street Could Talk. Street.
6: Don't make me. I just did. Moonlight. Yeah. No. Yeah. I also think Beale Street.
1: <laughs> Can you guys just play the game? Seriously.
6: <laughs> uh, fine. Um,
1: Come on, Dan.
5: Uh, Moonlight, but the score go. for Beale Street.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I go back and forth on this all the time, actually. All the yeah, time. It, uh, I remember when I saw Beale Street for the first time, I had trouble debating if I thought it was better or equal to Moonlight. I eventually just settled on it's equal to because they're two totally different movies and they do things
5: they're so they're so
1: different yeah. yeah uh so i am going to go with beale street oh god that's hard homecoming or far from home spider-man marvel mcu movies Absolutely. I, Beyonce. I either. <laughs> all right if you haven't Bye. seen either i will give you a pass i think far from home yeah far from home because of jake
0: I say Far From Home because of the text.
1: I genuinely like Michael Keaton, though, in Homecoming. Like, I think the twist with Michael Keaton in Homecoming is amazing. Every time I watch it, it's so good. Um, yeah, that, that's a good one. But the end credits to Far From Home might be the best end credits that the MCU's ever done. <laughs> so, God, and Jake's performance in it is so, so much fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Far From Home. Shit. Wow. Okay. Uh, Ghostbusters or back to, back to the Future? Back to the Future. Back to the Future.
6: Oh, I don't know. Uh, but I don't. I don't love either. But Back to the Future, I guess. I guess I'll say Back to the Future.
2: Grease or Dirty Dancing?
1: Dirty
5: Greece. Dancing. Grease. Mm. Grease. Grease. Dirty I Dancing. Grease. Grease, <laughs> I, I <laughs> but only because of the songs. Like. It's not soul, It's childhood. <laughs> It's not a great movie, but the You know it's, it's bad, bad, but
1: <laughs> the last one. Pretty woman or my best friend's wedding. Pretty, pretty woman. woman. My best friend's wedding. My, my best friend's wedding. I'm going with Pretty Woman. Who are
2: you people? <laughs> you now oh, if Jesus. you said to me
1: long shot <laughs> or pretty woman, then I would have said long shot, but you know.
2: I would still say pretty woman. I love pretty woman.
1: I'm Damn. with you, Jan
2: am best
1: friend's wedding.
5: I love pretty woman, but come on, my best friend's wedding. <laughs>
2: it's fine <laughs> all
1: right that'll do it here for episode 206 of the next best picture podcast uh thank you everyone so much for listening michael where can they find you on the internet
2: you can find me on twitter at m
1: 95 dan bear uh, you can find me on twitter at dance and dan on film
6: lauren Lemagna.
0: you guys can find me on the twitter at lauren Lemango.
6: cody derricks i am on twitter letterboxd and instagram at cody monster 91 tom
3: O'Brien. And I am on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien.
1: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 206 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player, FMACast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review, five stars. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including our remaining 2014 retrospective reviews. And keep in mind, people final week of voting so this time next week I will be announcing the nominations for the 2014 MVP Film Community Award so stay tuned for that get those ballots in thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time